Timothy B. here. Just got done interviewing Mary, and uh, God, it's such an honor. She's such her um, mainstay and um, a big help at Biscayne Room. I hope you all enjoy. Thanks for listening. Hey, this is Timothy B. here, and welcome to the Broken Wings Podcast. We have a treat today. Um, we have Mary B., um, who, who I've uh, kind of known for many years. Um, it was always nice to me. always remembered my name, even when I used to say nothing. Um, she's very smart, and whenever she um, shares, she's kind of like E.F. Hutton. When, when she talks, people listen. Um, so welcome to the podcast, Mary. Thank you, Timothy. I'm I'm delighted to be here today. Yeah, yeah. Thank you so much. And mm-hmm. um, again, uh, coming from the back room in Biscayne, that's heard my fifth step, and and I've heard other fifth steps here. Yep. Um, you know, this is a very special place to me. Absolutely. Um, can you give us a brief history of what you brought today? Uh, I got so my sobriety date is July the twentieth, nineteen eighty-seven. Well. well. And um, briefly, um, I struggled with uh, with cocaine Mm -hmm. and with you know and drinking at the same time. Um, My very uh, short career. I'm exactly what the big book talks about: women alcoholics. How when we go, we go hard, Mm -hmm. we go fast, and we fall hard too. Yeah. And that is my experience mm-hmm. in that um, I was 18 when I got sober. Mm-hmm. And at that time, um, my mother mm-hmm. had been very involved with um, um, kind of a CODA Al-Anon program. Mm-hmm. So she was sort of a black belt codependent. Yeah. <laughs> and okay. uh, so she was very keen on signs and problems with family and all of that type of thing so um i in the middle of my senior year of high school i was i had a difficult time showing up when i was supposed to show up (laughs) yeah and the school administrators said to me basically we um well I, i have this is kind of what started the whole thing is I couldn't attend on a regular basis because there were other priorities. Uh, yeah, I understand. So um, the attendance vice principal, um, in, an, in an effort to at least keep me in school during one period, um, had me work in the office, mm-hmm. the check-in, check-out office. So I got this brilliant plan, which happened to be the fourth period, which was the lunch period. Mm-hmm. So I got this brilliant plan to um, stamp, you know, this is paper and stamps a million years ago. Mm -hmm. I got the brilliant idea to stamp his name on a bunch of the check-in, check-out slips and sell them. (laughs) So after about a two-week rash of unexplainable check-ins and (laughs) check-outs and some investigatory work, uh, they fingered me to be the culprit. Yeah. 
which was just another one of those in our long history of really out of control behaviors and taking actions that we don't comprehend nor think about the consequence. It just seemed like a good idea yeah. and I could make some money. Yeah. Um, which led to a six month stint in my life where the, I just fell off the cliff. Um, so what got me in the circumstance that I, that I found myself in is that I had, um, I barely graduated from high school. I went to work for, funny enough, for the Stone Mountain Park in the, uh, um, cash control <laughs> department. And so I, my job was to print paychecks for Stone Mountain Park. And so I worked at night. So I was there by myself all night long. And I happened to have moved out and moved in with my druggy boyfriend who was every bit as alcoholic and drug addict as I was. So it, it was a perfect storm and disaster because I had all the dope I could do and all the alcohol I could drink. And, and being the good alcoholic that I am, I'm going full board. Yeah. You know, yeah, yeah. <laughs> stop, why? That's ridiculous. As a result, um, one Sunday morning I was fired by, I'm talking about six o'clock on a Sunday morning, the department director, not my boss, not his boss, the guy in charge of the entire department showed up at 6 a.m. on a Sunday oh, morning wow. to fire me. <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> oh, oh. It was bad. Oh. Um, I then um, had, had gotten thrown out of, well, my druggy boyfriend who was pretty abusive. We had a very serious fight one night where I left with my life and my keys mm -hmm. and ended up back at my parents' house. And all of this, you know, the dominoes, the whole box of dominoes fell yeah. within like three days. Yeah. So interventions were like becoming sort of cool at that time. So my mother on my, my, my mom and my, my, my dad, sorry, my dad and I have the same birthday. Okay. So we had a big family birthday and went out to dinner and I was headed out the door and my dad said, I have your keys and we need to talk. So, so we sat down with my entire family and basically I was given a choice of, um, if you, well, my mother had pulled out this, out of her chair, this pouch, mm -hmm. and in the pouch was, now remember this is old school, but there's a, a little mirror, a straw, <laughs> oh. a razor blade, <laughs> oh, okay. and a little, and a little plastic bag with some white stuff in it. Yeah, yeah. Oh. You know, the thing I think she was more pissed off about was the fact that I had stolen the little pouch thing from her. <laughs> she felt violated in a lot of ways. And basically what happened was this is what they said is, um, if you want help, we will help you. If you don't want help, then you will get out. Um, my dad said, you will take only what you can carry out on your back. And as far as we're concerned, you're dead. Yeah. Wow. So, you figure out what you want to do. Yeah. 
So obviously, um, you know, funny enough, I have one brother who's older than I am. He's next to me in line of siblings. And uh, we walked around the neighborhood that night and he kept saying, what are you gonna do? What are you gonna do? What are you gonna do? So we helped me make the decision to at least pretend to <laughs> be willing. Yeah. As, all, as it always has in the world, that one brother could not come see me in treatment because he couldn't pass the drug test. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. But you know, the message comes when the messenger needs. The message comes from whatever messenger you get. Yeah. Anyway, I, uh, yeah, being arrogant that I was, I rolled up in treatment. I didn't even take a suitcase. I just put my clothes in a laundry basket. Yeah. <laughs> because I was convinced that they were not going to keep me. Yeah. Just temporary. Yeah yeah, 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 yeah. You know, a couple of days. Blah, blah, blah. Yeah. So I then, um, my mother was very smart in the fact that she waited until I was 18 because she knew if I was 17, the minute I hit 18, I could sign myself out. Mm-hmm. So she waited until I signed the papers myself. Yeah. And I then proceeded to spend nine months in treatment. And, and you have to remember back in the 80s, there was treatment centers on every corner and every modality of treatment went from the Cadillac and the pool and the massages to what I went to, which was a treatment center called Straight, which was, it had the treatment modality of break the spirit. No. Um, we were held by belt loops. We, you had to ask before you ate. You. Oh, wow. You know, the only time you were alone is when your old comer was standing on the other side of the shower curtain. If you wanted to shave your legs, they watched you shave your legs. I mean, just this very in, super intense break the spirit. Like the therapeutic communities? Or, right. Yeah. It was a very, it was very intense peer, peer pressure type yeah. situation. Yeah. Um, I was in straight for about nine months. Um. I, I finally left, um, and I won't go into that long story. Um, I finally left, mm-hmm. and but I knew this. One of the things you had to do in treatment was to memorize the steps that got you to another level. Mm-hmm. But I'd never been to a meeting, ever. Wow. So I left, and because I left the treatment center early, I could not associate I was a cop-out. So I couldn't associate with anybody at the treatment center. After nine months. So. After nine months, right. I couldn't associate with anybody there. Wow. And I didn't know anybody on the outside. At, you know, nine months, people go in different directions, particularly at that time in our lives. They yeah. were all going to college. They were all, you know, gone. Mm-hmm. So I knew, um, I knew I had to get somewhere. I'd lost my driver's license in the in the middle of all this, um, so my dad. I, so I called the Biscayne room on a Saturday afternoon. I thought I'm going to get to a meeting. Never been to a meeting before. Had no idea what it was like, but I knew that's what you were supposed to do. Yeah. And I called the Biscayne room, and um, Big George. No. I answered the phone. Yeah. And there was a. And to be completely honest with you about it, there was this sounded like a really handsome guy on the other line answering it going, yeah, come on over. We have a meeting tonight at 8. We'd love to have. I thought, God, he sounds great looking. I'm going. <laughs> 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 Attraction. Yeah. 
passion. Yeah, whatever motivates <laughs> exactly. you. Exactly. Yeah. So my dad dropped me, brought me, and dropped me off in the parking lot. Mm-hmm. And I walked in that front door. Yeah. I knew not a soul. I had no idea what was fixing to happen. And that is the longest but the shortest walk I think I have ever taken in my entire life. And when I got here and I got in the meeting, um, there, what I experienced was at that point I was kind of like a sponge. And there were things that I heard that just, resonate is not the right word, I felt it deep down like it just it I, I just felt it and um, I kept coming back and at this point you had had the seeds had been planted in you right. nine, nine months prior and right yeah I didn't know any and I and the thing about it is as part of the rules of treatment you couldn't smoke and you couldn't wear jewelry and you couldn't wear makeup and and I got here and they were like, you know, half the Bitskin room smoked and everybody wore makeup. They were like real people. So I was like, yeah. okay, this is cool. Yeah. <laughs> I can do this. Uh-huh. Um, so I got involved. And um, I came back to the meetings because um, there was just, there was something here that settled well with me and my gut um and and at the time the room had a lot of um i'm talking bottom of the barrel under the bridge wino drunks and it had it, the, i think the thing that attracted me to it it was similar in its vocabulary to i had come out of straight which was very hardcore very in your face very Here's the truth, like it, don't like it, we don't really care. So I got here to Biscayne, and because of a lot of the people that had gotten sober here, had, had ex, alcoholism had taken them, had left them with nothing. Yeah. So the language was familiar. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And the approach was familiar, and the truth was not disguised or prettied up, or it was there. So here I am, 18 years old, in the middle of the Biscayne room with a ton of winos and uh, and under the bridge drunks and all of that and so they you know but i but i related and i the the words that they spoke made sense to me like it had not ever made sense to me anywhere else yeah yeah i think we we both come from that that error because i remember i first came into the rooms over 30 years ago right and people were different then Mm -hmm. they were smoking a cigarette and they curse at you and tell you to shut up you don't know anything yet you know they're Mm -hmm. you know today's world everything is a little more politically correct absolutely you know we try to coddle people but Mm -hmm. You know, I rebelled against them when they did that, but I did keep coming back and, right. you know, so, but yeah, I think, yeah, I don't know where I stand on that. Maybe we got the, we got our ego knocked down a little bit in the beginning and that's exactly what we needed. Absolutely. Yeah. Um, Absolutely. And, and the thing about it is too, is the message and part of the message was, you know, very early on what I heard was you have a fatal disease whether you want to accept it or not, whether you like it or not, whether you want it or not, doesn't change the fact that you have it. So you can either do something about it 
or you can spend the rest of your life battling it and good luck with that. Our experience is that it doesn't work. Yeah, and you had people, you had people <laughs> right in that room that were good, good, you know, their story could tell you. Exactly. Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. And, and I think one of the other things that was so beneficial to me was at the time, the Biscayne Room had a program where it had a three-day recovery where somebody could come in um, and stay for three days and we would detox you. Um, there were some rules around it, you know, girls stay with girls, guys stay with guys. Yeah. Um, we fed what we fed them what was called a Biscayne cocktail, which was orange juice, honey, and yeast, <laughs> yeah. and um, stayed round the clock. So yeah. we took shifts, and um, and that was incredibly um, made a huge impression on me. It was incredibly powerful. Yeah. Because you really got the sense of. No matter how things in your life were not where you wanted them, after holding someone's head in the toilet and watching them be sick and shake it out and know that was me, yeah. it was very powerful. Very, yeah. very powerful. And I, I miss that. Yeah. Yeah. I miss that. I could only imagine now is everything's legalese and medical things and yeah. exactly. Yeah, I miss that because there was just it was so powerful for uh, for the for the newcomer coming in and watching that process. Yeah, yeah, I, um, can't, I can't imagine that's yeah. You want to do service work? Go help, yeah, the, absolutely. Go help the drunk in the next room. Absolutely, yeah. and, and there's <laughs> one that stays on my mind because I stayed with several, but there's one that stays on my mind, and you know, just back in the ladies and shoes, big heavy set burly hat on camo pants and an undershirt mm. and probably had me by about 200 pounds <laughs> and um at one point in the evening you know she was just absolutely hostile what does what your skinny little ass know about anything what are you doing here what do you think you can teach me who are you i could break you like a stick yeah. da, 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 da. to an hour and a half later while she's sitting on the toilet mm. and i'm and she got it coming out both ends, and I'm holding the bucket. Yeah. She's crying with, I love you. <laughs> Thank you so much. You're my best friend in the world, and I love you. I, I have never forgotten that lady. I don't know if she stayed sober, but I can guarantee you that I stayed sober. Yeah, yeah. And that's what I was taught that service work is about. Yeah, yeah. Particularly when you're working with wet with wet. With as we used to say, wet ones. Yeah, but that's what Bill Wilson did for six months before he ever this program ever started. Exactly. Yeah. Wow. 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 That that's so cool. Um, God, we could do a whole podcast just. Oh, that. And, and, yeah. amazing! Amazing! Uh, amazing! Amazing! <laughs> um, so I did want to ask you. Um, I I know somebody that used to work for you. You used to have a halfway house, huh? Yep. Yeah. Um, can you explain to us how that was? It, it, actually, what got started is my first husband. I, you know, I came into AA and and I got, I met an AA girl, my AA boy, mm-hmm. and um, he happened to be older than I was, mm-hmm. and he had several years more than I did in sobriety. But he very much taught me a lot about how kind of the old way was. Mm-hmm. So we. People came home with us. 
we uh, I could there were times I might have come home and I have no idea who was who who is asleep on the couch oh, yeah. who is that oh. or wake up in the morning because Jerry went to a late meeting and there's somebody on the couch um and and we sometimes they would stay for a long time we have one guy that came and stayed the drive for three days and a year and a half later (laughs) he was still with us um but it was very much the old school way of we bring them home and we we work with them and provide them a place and just kind of a lot of the more old school aa um so we married like i said we married and we had children and one morning, I, as I'm fixing uh, chocolate milk for my little one, who is sitting on the couch in his pajamas watching cartoons, and I'm seeing a, a man that I really have no idea who he is, mm-hmm. s- sitting on the other couch drinking coffee, because that's where he slept. Yeah. I said, this is not okay anymore. Yeah, yeah. Because we don't know who it is we're bringing here around our children, and we need to keep the sanctity of our home. Yeah. We need to protect that a little better. I can understand that completely, yeah. You know, um, though we still want to help people, mm-hmm. we need to do this in a different way. Yeah. And so over a, uh, over a process, because Jerry was in business for himself and was a real estate developer, um, through a process that occurred, we eventually... Um, created a halfway house and um, and in the end Jerry and I ended up divorcing and I ended up keeping one of them uh, it was called First Priority okay. and I had First Priority for 17 years oh wow wow yeah um, and and as a result of that uh, it was such an eye-opening experience not so much you know alcoholism is the same or the, the, the times, dates, and substances may be a little different. Yeah. The feelings and the devastation of the disease yeah. are the same. Yeah, the consequences exactly. are always the same. Right, right? Exactly. Yeah. And where we end up and what happens, mm-hmm. that they may be a little different. Yeah. Um, it was a wonderful experience for me mm-hmm. because I came in contact with people that I absolutely would have never met before. Ever. And I created some friendships and um, um, some relationships that I treasure today. Um, At at a time in my sobriety when while I was while I had the halfway house up, um, as I said, my husband and I divorced, and then um, we had three children. He was diagnosed with um, lung cancer. And within about seven days of his diagnosis, he was gone. Jeez, I'm sorry to hear that. So I'm now trying to figure out how to raise three kids on my own. Um, And in a lot of ways, just like in this program, that halfway house was somewhat of a, um, it was a consistency, which is really crazy when you think about a halfway house being a consistency in somebody's life. But it was, it had been my, it was my passion. It was where my heart was. I didn't go in to make any money in it. That wasn't the point. The point was I wanted to provide a place what had what had started here and ended here, I wanted to keep that in place. 
and I did so for a long time. Like I said, so I, I do not regret it whatsoever. Yeah. You know, it is a terrible business model, yeah. <laughs> or at least mine was, yeah. because I ran it with my heart. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Instead of with my businesses, which I have mm-hmm. business sense, but but it was not about that for me. Yeah, yeah, I've met you know I've, I've never heard anybody <laughs> say anything bad about you. And, you know, just you know, I know Thomas and Justice and people that that you know just. And, Absolutely. And I know your sponsee that started a halfway house, and I work for her. Right. I mean, a lot of people have you know. I've never heard anybody say anything bad well, about you. Well, that's good to know. Yeah. Thank you for telling <laughs> yeah. that. Yeah. Um, it it came to a conclusion mm-hmm. in 17 in that um, my father was diagnosed with pulmonary fibrosis. Oh, wow. And the last year of his life, uh, we got very involved. I had his medical power of attorney, got hospice involved. So he lived with his girlfriend, but they were five minutes down the street from me. And so it was necessary for me to be super involved with his care and the oversight of it on hospice and, and all of that to take a lot of the burden off of his girlfriend, but also yeah. to do what was the right thing as far as he was concerned. Yeah. Um, and it got to be, it was a one, it is, it was the best year of my life I ever spent with my father. And like most things in life that are oxymoronic, it happened to be because he was dying. Yeah. You know. Yeah, no, I completely understand. And that, yeah, but it, but I, but my involvement, I, I, I kind of got to a place where I needed. I felt like I needed to make a choice. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, and at that time, the right thing for me at that time was to focus on him, mm-hmm. and and ending his life well, mm-hmm. with him surrounded by his children. And in that way. And I had run a house for 17 years. I knew a lot of people. And it was time for it. It had come to its natural conclusion. Yeah, yeah. It was time for me to move in some other different directions. Yeah, yeah. So. No, I understand that. And, you know, it's, it's weird because, you know, the podcast with, with, with Russ, your husband, um, one I just did last week with Chris, and in my own experience earlier earlier this year was my mother was dying and right. doing hospice at home. Mm-hmm. My sister had to, you know, stop working and just take care of her and people coming in. But it was the greatest time of my life, the last mm-hmm. three months, um, spending time with her as much mm-hmm. as I could. And the role's kind of reversing. Right. You know? Right. Right. But, you know, thank God I was sober and able to be there. There you go. You know, yeah. And the beautiful part about that is, is as as he is now gone, and I'm sure this is your experience too, when he when he passed, you know, there was nothing there was nothing left to say. There was nothing unspoken. There was no nothing that was unfinished. Yeah. You know? Yeah. yeah. It was it was I was able to let him go with complete peace. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, that's you know, that's that's, that's awesome. It's you know that is priceless to me because he was the parent. You know we all seem to have that one parent that there was a lot of angst and 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 he was for me he was the one that there was a lot of I had to I had to I had to do a lot of work on me some of it in this program some of it outside of this program 
I needed to find a little outside help to kind of walk through some of the issues that I had with him years before. Yeah. Um, so that when the time came for me able to be of love and service to him, mm-hmm. I was able to do that unencumbered by yeah. angers and unresolved stuff. Yeah, yeah. It's it, it's big just because when everything's said and done, it's just all we can control is how we acted. And if we acted the right way, we're at peace. I mean, absolutely. This pain, you're always going to remember. And it, right, you miss, you know, and there's a hole, yeah. but you, but you can. Yeah. Close that chapter with with a quiet close instead of a slam door with a lot of anger behind either one of them. Yeah, yeah. The worst thing is thinking, well, what if? What if I had done this? What if, uh, mm-hmm. when you don't have them questions anymore? Mm-hmm. It's just it's a lot of peace. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Yeah. Wow. Absolutely. Wow. That that's cool hearing that. Um. I was going to ask you just about, you found love in the rooms. Well, you found love in the rooms twice. Yes, I did. Um, and yes, but, I did. But, and as my podcast listeners will know, if they listen to the Russ interview. Um, that is know, my other half. Yeah, yeah, he talked about it. He, you know, I love him, such a smart guy. You're such a smart person. Um, and, well, okay, well, we're going to go into Biscayne Room later. But first, let's just talk about what was it like finding love and, and was it, you know, without sending the wrong message. You guys weren't, like, 30 days sober when no, you met each not. other. No. <laughs> so, but what was it like meeting Russ in the rooms and everything? Um, funny enough is that um, he will laugh because I always say, well, you were playing hard to get. <laughs> <laughs> but <clears throat> in all fairness to him, <clears throat> you know, I came with a lot of package. It wasn't just me. Mm-hmm. And he and I had some great conversation at first. And and I will say this, this is one of the things that the first time we ever went to dinner, just he and I, we went to Longhorns, we had dinner, and um, it was raining when we got down. It was cold and it was raining when we got through. And I didn't have an umbrella, so I was prepared to make the mad dash for the car. He had the umbrella, he pulled out the umbrella, walked me to my car, and as I'm getting in my car, he leaned over and he gave me two kisses on the cheek. <laughs> and it, it was, as I drove away, it was the chivalry and the respect. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Was so phenomenal, yeah. you know? Um, and as a result of that, we had a lot of conversation. And, and at some point in time, not too long after we started dating, he ended up having heart, a, kind of an emergency heart surgery that neither one of us were sort of prepared for. Yeah. Um, that, you know, we, we sailed right through and he's fine and all good. But <clears throat> at some point, we had a conversation in which I said, my priority right now is getting these three kids raised because when their dad passed my daughter was eight I had one son who had just and she had just turned eight I had one son who had just turned 11 and one who was 12 fixing to turn 13 and so those are particularly for the boys those are super critical ages yeah so I said to Russ my responsibility and my priority is getting them raised that's my one and only focus at this point in time. 
So <clears throat> if you're willing to hang with us, <laughs> you're, you're, you're welcome to ride. Yeah. But I am not willing to even have a conversation about anything further or permanent or, <clears throat> you know, more serious mm-hmm. until I have done that job. Yeah, yeah. Well, that's commendable. That's, yeah. And at that point in time, you know, so if you're really, if you're willing to ride with us, mm-hmm. come on. Mm-hmm. Um, God in his infinite wisdom mm-hmm. set the stage in such a way that he would come hang with us on the weekends and then he would go home. So he had, because we are a boisterous, loud, and at times obnoxious, but loving bunch <laughs> who bring a lot of drama and a lot of chaos as well as a lot of color <laughs> to the scene. So he he needed an escape route yeah. <laughs> and a place to go <laughs> yeah, yeah. after a couple of days with the Benefields yeah. to recover <laughs> oh, <wow. laughs> and kind of get his quiet back, and then he could uh, we came back. So um, from a recovery perspective, for me, that was a big step, mm-hmm. and. <clears throat> on my own personal journey um, to look at him and to say this is the deal and this is kind of a non-negotiable yeah yeah um, was was very scary mm. Mm. to sort of stand my ground and just say this is where we are mm. and I'm kind of putting it all on the line here mm. was was practicing a recovery behavior that was new to me was a new behavior. Even with a lot of years sober, we still find new behaviors, Mm -hmm. new uncomfortable spots, new things we have to do that require some courage. Mm -hmm. Um, You know, when he, after I had my big speech prepared and Mm -hmm. told him all this, he was like, okay. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Okay, I get that. Um, So he has become my... We spend a lot of time still talking about sobriety mm-hmm. and AA and the program. Yeah. Um, and we have put together this this kind of hodgepodge family um, that we've sorted out and figured out how it works and how it runs. Mm-hmm. And um, what I have, I hope he feels this way, what I have is um, I have a partner. It's We were both had done a lot of work on ourselves so that when we were able to come together, we were each each able to put something different on the table. I brought a family and all that is encompassed in that. He brought, um, for me and for us, Russ is like, I describe him as a Timex. He just ticks. He is consistent. He is steady, he is sturdy, he is as quiet as he is. He is just this presence in my life that is grounding. Yeah, yeah. I I prod him into new things and he keeps me, not tethered, but he keeps me from getting too far off the ground. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, no, I mean... You both were so fortunate to find each other. You're both great people, and but you're different people. Yeah, very much so. He talked about what a blessing it was to be, um, to witness and be around your kids growing up, and um, 
you made some real mature decisions there and it sounds like he was okay with it and then so you both were pretty secure you both were along in your recovery and had many years and and the and the beautiful part about where you know the formation of this family is concerned is you know Russ never ever interfered in me and them he was wise enough to create relationships individually with each one of them on their own terms in their own way so that it wasn't mom shoving this guy down our throat Um, everybody knows everybody loves Russ in their own way because they each have their own relationship yeah. And I think that's a big part of, and a lot of that came out of his wisdom in moving slowly mm-hmm. and being kind of an observer first. And then when he found an opportunity, connecting, mm-hmm. not pushing, just connecting. Yeah, yeah. And establishing um, a track record with them. Yeah, yeah. He, <clears throat> yeah, he's a smart guy. He, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, he. <clears throat> absolutely. And, uh, yeah. Um, I, I do notice that you two, sometimes you're in meetings together, but a lot of times you're in your separate meetings, which, which is kind of cool. I think that, that you guys are able to still compartmentalize your recovery. Right. Um, For us, mm-hmm. I believe that's important. Yeah, yeah. Um, because when you sit in a meeting with somebody that you're taking home, mm-hmm. if there's some... Um, confusion or frustration or hurt feelings or anger I want a place to be able to process that separately yeah. and <clears throat> he needs a place to be able to process that separately mm-hmm. and I think it's very important that we we kind of be, here here's sort of our formula our fellowship and our service work a lot of times end up happening jointly our programs function independently. Yeah, yeah. Um, and there's a country song that talks about we find our strengths and inspirations independently. Mm-hmm. And that talks, and, and then it ties back to say that's why we work as well as we work. That's why we do what we do. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, I, for us, that has been what what is necessary. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I think it's very wise, and we do. We know couples that have been coming together for 40 years and and, and whatever. So it's not, we're not taking their inventory, but it's you guys. um, Yeah, that's that's a really cool thing, I think. Each each has to find their own. Yeah, yeah. Um, And find what works for them. And, you know, um, one thing why I respect you so much and and Russ, of course, is you guys are so involved with Biscayne here. Um, you were the president for a long time. Yep. And then I heard you, now you've switched to right. entertainment. Right. And, you know. Spirit of AA rotation. Yeah. You know, take yeah. on a different position. This is where my heart is. And I, and I will tell you, um, not that I don't go to other meetings, not that I haven't gone to other meetings. Yeah. But when I showed up at that front door at 18 years old, and there was, I, I didn't know anybody else, and I literally started life over mm-hmm. completely fresh. Um one of the things that my sponsor told me very early on is she said you have to find a place of sanctuary and sanctuary is defined as one place on the face of the earth that you know you are safe and so the Biscayne room for me has always been sanctuary no matter what happens or what's going on and I have I have fallen apart in sobriety and 
put the pieces back together again here. Um, so much of my history is here, you know. Um, and, and I have a passion about the message. I have a passion about our history. Um, I, for me, I need that brick and mortar place. And I, I will share this, I'm jumping topics on you, but okay. when you talk about COVID, yeah. I did, you know, my home group was shut down for a couple of weeks and, and, I, and I tried the Zoom thing and it, yeah. I found it completely unsatisfactory. Mm-hmm. Um, that was just for me. Yeah, yeah. So I first possible um, decided that I'm going to op- I'm going to open up the room for that my home group meeting. Mm-hmm. I, I think it was like the first week of May or second week of May anyway. Mm-hmm. And I was fully prepared to sit there in that room completely by myself. Mm-hmm. That's the way it shut down. Yeah. But what was necessary for me was on that night at that time to be in this place. Yeah. Yeah. Because that's such a mark for my week and my life and my grounding mm-hmm. to come here. Yeah. And look at these walls. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think, you know, like, like everything, we will adapt, we will adjust. But it bothered me significantly because I can't tell. I, I don't know how I would have gotten sober early, early on, especially mm-hmm. really early on. Yeah. On Zoom. Yeah. I needed a place, and I needed skin, mm-hmm. and I needed people. Yeah. Um, so my commitment is to make sure that the best skin room is here as, as long as possible. I want my name to hang on the gone to glory sign. <laughs> Hopefully many, 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 many years from now mm-hmm. in this place. Yeah. Because it's been such a huge part of my life, and I have such a passion about it. Yeah, yeah, I, I completely understand Um you know, I've seen some fighting in the rooms about this and that. Uh, my home group is small enough that, that we do it in person and Zoom and hand the phone around for people when they're sharing, <laughs> you know. But, um, yeah, yeah. Um, but, you know, with the COVID thing, um, I understand why some people have, you know, they take care of older people. Sure, and absolutely. And they don't want to take that chance. And absolutely. Um, and I can respect that. And But COVID definitely, this podcast came because of COVID. Mm-hmm. So, you know. It's a good thing that came out of it. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And, and, and I think in, in a lot of respects that it's kind of an unknown in the fact that there are people the next two generations down. My kids are all in their 20s. Mm-hmm. So the 20s generation is very much an electronic generation. Yeah. They do everything on their phone. Yeah. To them, it's not awkward or weird. Yeah. To us or to me, maybe yeah, not no, you. No, to me too. Yeah. But to me, it's still somewhat of a, uh, a wonder yeah. on some levels. Yeah. And um, it... I have a problem connecting in that way. I'm. Yeah. I need to see your face, and yeah. your, I need to be able to reach out and touch your hand. Yeah. And hug you. That's vital to me. Yeah, I think the newcomers it definitely affects greatly in the wrong Absolutely. way. Absolutely. You know, 
some old timers, uh, you know, it's okay to go to Zoom for a while. And, and you know, hopefully we're going to get a cure or something. Mm-hmm. Something's going to happen to where we can go back to normal. I, but I, I, so. I 100% believe yeah. that to be the case. Yeah. We on this earth have lived a long time with a lot of sicknesses yeah. that we figured our way through mm-hmm. and we got back to a normal sense of life. Yeah. And so I, I believe that may not be as quick as we all want it to be, but I believe it will be back. Mm-hmm. For me, I will be yeah. here. Yeah. Making sure that that door's open. Yeah, and then we can go back to telling people in meetings to get off their phones. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. My Occasionally my rant. Yeah, no. <laughs> my electronic rant. Yeah. We're not on Zoom anymore. <laughs> Turn that thing off. <laughs> yeah. Well, yeah. Yeah, I know... Um, the one thing I did like about Zoom was I could smoke in meetings. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, okay, let's see. There, okay, we've talked about a lot of the things. I did want to ask you about, you were involved in Biscayne with uh, Maggie and the other lady? Mary Mack. Mary. Um, I, I mean, I just want to say I greatly appreciate the fact that there were two women that started this on a resentment, maybe. Absolutely. But... You know, it wasn't that long ago that women weren't even supposed to say they were alcoholic. And these two women were pioneers. Right. And I, um, Maggie was my my first sponsor's sponsor. Okay. Um, Jan W. was my first sponsor. Mm-hmm. And um, Maggie scared the hell out of me at first. She <laughs> 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 just tried to stay off Maggie's radar. Yeah. Um, but... Like anything, Maggie had a heart for this program. She was tough, Mm -hmm. and she told you the truth, and that rubbed people the wrong way. Mm -hmm. But it also, um, but she also had a compassion at the same time. Um, She was the one that it almost seems um, conflicting, Mm -hmm. wrapped up in one little body, but she could be as tough as nails. But she also was willing to take the time to sit down and listen Mm -hmm. and cut through the bullshit to get to what what's what's really going on here. Mm -hmm. You know? Yeah. What are you really afraid of? Mm -hmm. You know, it's fear that's eating you alive. Um, do service work because honey, you are too sick to do anything but which was wonderful. Yeah, yeah. Um and I think she had a really good message, and there a lot of Maggie's message that brought the best can room about, and a lot of the philosophy of it was, you you don't have to have years and years of sobriety to be helpful or to help someone, because the truth about it is, is if you've got a newcomer who's shaking it out or got a couple of days, and they look at the person who's got 20 years, you know, most newcomers think they're full of shit and they're lying. Mm, yeah, yeah. <laughs> but the guy who's got 30 days is a far more effective messenger because he's got 30 days. Yeah. That's almost unattainable in the three-day mind, mm. but it, it's a hope. Yeah. 20 years is so inconceivable. Yeah. It's just not even in the realm of possibility. Yeah. Um. And and the other thing, too, was a lot of the, as we referred to before, the three-day recovery program, what it taught me was that I have sat in, it's been a long time, and I miss this, mm-hmm. but I've sat in meetings with somebody who was just wasted. Mm-hmm. And, and we seem to have become afraid of those, mm-hmm. meaning 
You could sit in that room sick and drunk and as long as you were quiet, you had every right to be there. And nobody was afraid of you. We seem to have kind of, these days it's almost like, that person's drunk. We should call the crisis center. No, maybe we just need to let them sit there Mm -hmm. and have some compassion for them. Don't tolerate crap. Because we're not going to put up with that. Mm -hmm. But it was always, the way that Maggie structured things was always a powerful reminder for the sober, to the sober that that's you sitting in that chair. Yeah. Wow. That's you sitting in that chair. And you could be just as drunk and sick and miserable as they are. As a matter of fact, you were. So don't start getting judgy. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, God, I wish I could have met her because, you know, I, you know, I want to be unbiased, but, you know, the truth is Biscayne is my favorite place and it's extremely important to me. And, and a lot of it has to do with people like you who, who will speak out. I mean, right. you're, nobody's afraid of you because you're very nice. Right. But when you speak, sometimes people are like, oh. oh shit. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. And, and the funny thing is Mary Mack, mm-hmm. like most good partnerships, Mary Mack was like your grandmother. Mm-hmm. Mary oh. Mack was very gentle and very loving and very, um, you know, she, there was a, whereas Maggie could be a little scary. Mm-hmm. Mary Mack, um, you kind of gravitated towards Mary Mack because she just had sort of the softer, gentler appearance. Mary Mack was every bit as tough as Maggie. Yeah. And you didn't mess with Mary Mack, but just the way they carried themselves. Yeah. They were a good... They were a good partnership. Yeah, yeah, good cop, bad cop. Yeah, exactly, in some respects. Exactly. I just keep checking to make sure I don't run out of time on this. Okay, we still got a little more time. Um, Yeah, yeah, it's funny because just sitting here talking about it, I was thinking, and like, you know, you say maybe you can be a little tough and this, but I'm the same way too. Um, Sometimes I go overboard, but I have to judge it by the person. Um, How Mm -hmm. how do I approach this person? But I've had people that like, thought I was the biggest asshole and um blah 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 but then when they're relapsing they're looking for help they call me right I'm the first one they call so you know sometimes I try to keep that in my heart that you know you know people aren't ready I can't make them ready right you know I have to hold a a, you know a a standard of of where I am you know and and I think when we when we stick to what originally whether it's sponsor or somebody that just you see in your network or see in the rooms, mm-hmm. um, I think when we stick to our, this is my experience, mm-hmm. and this is what I perceived and what I thought and what I believed, then we're not preaching and we're not judging and we don't have a, a rule book in front of us. Um, there's a genuineness. Mm-hmm that I think people get attracted to because it's it's authentic. Yeah, yeah. You know? Mm-hmm. And and what they learn out of the authentic, authenticity is truth. Yeah. You yeah. know, when I'm coming to you out of my experience, good or bad, mm-hmm. then um, it's unarguable arguable, and it's not coming out of my theory. I'm just telling you what happened to me. Yeah, yeah. And... And people, I think, gravitate towards that. Yeah. Whether it's sometimes harsh mm-hmm. or sometimes um, 
perceived to be um, brash mm -hmm. or crass, they still are attracted to the honesty and the authenticity of it. Mm -hmm. and, and I think that's the important thing that we have to, we have to maintain mixed with a little compassion. Mm -hmm. And I think that's why it's so important for people who have been sober a long time to stay connected, to have friends that are on at on every at every number in their sobriety because I need to I need to remember what it was like and that and I'm not talking about it what it was like drunk we all know what that's about yeah and to be reminded that I've had some periods of sobriety where my number was a double digit number but I was more screwed up in the head I, and I will share this story with you if you think we have time yeah yeah we have time um, I had um, life was just falling apart um, Jerry had passed away I've got these kids I have no idea it was kind of it was a terrible it was just one of those years mm -hmm. where everything went wrong and I was trying to figure out how to feed them and keep the lights on and how do you help somebody grieve from the loss of their father and I mean it was just it was, an, it, I, it was a mess. So I went to, I dropped them off at school. I said, I'm going to bring you lunch back. So I went to the Publix close to their school, and I decided I was going to get a foot-long sandwich, divide it in three, get some shit, take that back, and then they were done. Because mm -hmm. I was at that point, just like a newcomer, where it was just do what is right in front of you. Because yeah. that's really all you can focus on. Yeah. So I go to the deli counter get the sandwich made and the lady behind me did not speak very good English and so she took the subway the sandwich and she cut it in half and then she cut one of the halves in half <laughs> I am a really emotionally fragile at this point <laughs> and I was like I took the sandwich and I'm thinking, oh my God, somebody's gonna be hungry. They didn't get enough. And I'm walking around the store trying to figure out how I'm going to equal this thing out. And I'm in the cleaning section, walking down the aisle with tears just streaming down my face because I'm just fragile at this point in time and just trying to figure out how to get everybody where they're supposed to be. And the store manager stopped me and he goes, Ma'am, are, are you okay? And I'm standing there bawling like an idiot to this man going, get the sandwich. And they're supposed to cut it third. And then they cut a half. And then a half. And somebody's not going to get enough. And they're going to be hungry. And then <laughs> <laughs> the guy looked at me and he's like, why don't you give me the sandwich? <laughs> Took me back to the deli. <laughs> had the lady remake the sandwich and cut it in thirds. <laughs> I had something like 17 years of sobriety no. yeah. at that time. Yeah. But the life circumstances which I was dealing with had just discombobulated me and blindsided me because nobody expected his death and it yeah. came out of nowhere to where I just didn't have a whole lot of tools at that point. You know, thank God for the store manager, because I'm sure he was thinking, "This, I just need to get this lady out of the store. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, I, I tell that story to say, you know, let's not forget that all of us, no matter how long we've been sober, have had those moments, even with a lot of, even with a little time or a lot of time, have had those moments walking through the Publix 
crying because the sandwiches are done right and you have no idea how to communicate to that lady. Yeah, yeah. yeah. That's about staying in touch with the compassion. Mm-hmm. Um, I'll tell you another quick story real quickly. After Jerry had passed, there was an AA trip scheduled down at the beach and we literally buried him on Wednesday and I scooped the kids up and we went down to the beach. Mm-hmm. I had no idea what else to do and we just went to the beach. Bunch of AAs there, bunch of kids there. Mm-hmm. The next morning I woke up and I truly, literally was just shaking in fear. How am I going to do this? What am I going to say to them? What do we do next? But we had morning meditation. And I got to morning meditate. And I wrote. I I mean, I I must have looked like a serial killer. This paper that I had written because it was just, you know, these huge sculpting, you know, rolling letters. Um just thought stream of consciousness almost written on the paper and I, I got down to meditation and uh, Joyce P looked at me and she goes what's wrong I was like I'm terrified I'm terrified so she goes well, well let me get you some coffee <laughs> so she what do you take in a cream two sugar she gave me some coffee set it down in front of me and uh, a little later on in that meditation, and I talked about fear, and I talked about what, what, and Joyce I mean, she goes, baby, you're going to do it tomorrow exactly like you did it yesterday, and all the days before that. Those ladies scotch taped me together mm-hmm. enough to get us back home to figure out how we were going we to do this. And that's the beauty of this program, and that's why it's so necessary that we build a network and we stay connected. Yeah, and it's so awesome that you got with your network. Um, because a lot of you know, a lot of times that I know I've withdrawn completely, and it's been uh, mm-hmm. it's been devastating for me because mm-hmm. of that. Um, and I think what we don't need to forget is, you know, we are family, mm-hmm. and I have, in all of my time in, in sobriety, mm-hmm. we have. I have seen groups fuss Mm. and bicker and argue Mm. about certain things or about something, you know, with us, it's generally something really stupid that we've blown up into a really big deal. Mm. But just like a family, we take the skills we learn here. We sit down and we will talk it out. What's what's really important and what is bullshit? Mm -hmm. Let's come to an agreement and let's move forward with the plan. And a lot of what I learned here, I learned how to take out there to navigate the world. Yeah, exactly. We're just a we're just a segment of society. Absolutely. Basically. You know, and actually, it's easier to deal with because everybody's just about everybody's trying to work on themselves. Right, and the we understand the rules. Yeah. You know the or the or the concepts. Mm-hmm. Um, there's not a lot of cutthroat here because what you learn very early on is when you walk in that front door, the first it is the alcoholism is a great equalizer. Yeah, okay. Well, End of story. You know. Yeah. Well, uh, let's see. Just one second, Mary. Okay, we're we're back with Mary. Um, wow, wow. Um, this has been such an an honor interviewing you. You're so animated, and it is better in person seeing you. 
<laughs> You're like a theater major with the <laughs> traffic director with the hands. Yeah. If you sit on him, I can't talk. <laughs> yeah, it's funny when I interviewed Julie, uh, Julie M. The same way. The, um, but we did it through the phone, mm-hmm. so the audio is kind of messed up because she's waving her hands all along by her microphone all the time. There's an air shift. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, so is there any advice you have to give to, to newcomers, oldcomers, anybody? Or What I would say is this, is that this program works. It requires a lot of work. But the commitment to this program is not a 10-year commitment or a 20-year commitment or a lifetime commitment. It is a commitment to right now, number one, staying sober. And if I stay sober, then I have the chance. Staying sober gives me the chance to be able to participate in whatever it is that I want, I need, I'm seeking when I don't stay sober, there's no chance. Yeah, yeah. That's it. And so I believe that when we come here and we do the work necessary, and yes, some of it is difficult and some of it is painful and some of it is wonderful mm-hmm. and some of it is exciting. Mm-hmm. But when I, I got sober to have everything, I want everything this program promises me. Mm-hmm. And if that's love and a family and life and some success amongst my peers and, and a little piece of the earth to call my own, yeah. that's what I got sober for. And that's what this program tells me is if I'm willing to do the work mm-hmm. then and not make the rewards my focal point, when my sobriety is my focal point, it's amazing how everything else unfolds. Yeah. Um, and I'm able to um, a- achieve on one hand, but to accept what the God of my understanding has in store for me, because I do know this, that what he has in store for me is for my highest and best. And when I let him determine that, I'm always amazed. Because mm-hmm. mm-hmm. my highest and best gets really skewed. <laughs> so that's my deal with God is you figure out what's highest and best, and I'll be willing to go on the ride because your track record on that is far better than mine is. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, wow. Wow, it, it, it's been such an honor to have you Thank on you. here. Um, and... Uh, I'm glad I caught at this and when I was when I interviewed Russ, um, I didn't realize and I cut off the last couple minutes. Um, so but I was able to catch it this time. So we so we got all of you. Um um any comments or anything? How do you like how do you like being on the podcast? I think this is wonderful mm-hmm. and I think this is super important for people, particularly now or later, people who travel, people who may not have the opportunity as we talked about how wonderful it is to be in person. Mm-hmm. But sometimes and I will say this, and then I will be quiet. But um, there is a rhythm um, and a balm to the language that we speak in meetings and between it, and, and one alcoholic to another. Yeah. And that has always eased those hurts and uh, um, 
you know, sanded down the rough edges, when I can get in that place where I can hear that rhythm and that language, yeah. no matter where I am, that is the, the balm and the salve mm. that eases the inside. And so whether it's podcasts or CDs or whatever, however we can get the message across, mm. God has given us the opportunity. I think we need to take it. So good job, Timothy, and thank you <laughs> yeah. for going through all this trouble yeah. to do this. Because yeah. this is definitely service work. So yeah. thank you. No, thank you. It's no trouble at all. This I, I enjoy doing this and having real conversations with people. Mm-hmm. Uh, no, Nobody walks up and interrupts. Nobody's looking at their phone. It's mm-hmm. just, you know. We're just looking at your phone. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, yeah. Well, wow, wow. Um, yeah, it's just been a pleasure. And, um yeah this is pretty cool i hope people be able to listen in people you know one of the goals is to hear some of these uh quote-unquote big shots in aa <laughs> and get to know their story so right. when you see them you know right it makes it that much Absolutely. easier it's easy to see somebody that smells good and drives a car and all that but uh-huh. you don't know how they got here i think that's important yeah Absolutely. Wow. Wow. Well, thank you so much, You're Mary welcome. B. Thank you, Timothy. Yeah, and thank you for listening to the Broken Wings podcast. Um, I hope you all enjoyed. Bye bye.